Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Ryan. Hey. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that will distract others. And take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, if everybody's ready, we're going to start the meditation. The
Uh, we're going to do the Foglay prayer. If you don't know it, it's uh, right up on the banner here. Uh, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. And this is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. Um, I've asked Scott to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. There is not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of his experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he's undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have ever brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. All right. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. Uh, this is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, tonight we have Tom coming up to do his fifth session for us, right? Five. All right. Um, it's been amazing so far, so I'm not going to waste any time. I'm just going to bring Tom up. My name's Tom. I'm an alcoholic. I have to bring my hat because my eyes are sensitive, and I, I just can't take that bright light sticking in my face. And uh, 
I had to. I surprised you didn't give any joke tonight because I was going to help you out, you know. I was going to try and help you out with a few jokes anyway. <clears throat> and I brought you some grapevines, you know, because you'll find some good jokes in these, in these grapevines, you know. Uh, in step 12, if step 12 tells me Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. My one question is this. How do I practice these principles? I haven't had an affair since I got sober. <laughs> like that was, I thought it was pretty good, you know, right? And how about this one? An alcoholic tried to be a lawyer, but he couldn't pass the bar. <laughs> right? Right, that's a good one. Here's your grapevines right here. I'm going to leave them here for you. No. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know how I'm going to start out. and I, Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to say. I try to leave things up to God. And this is, we're going to talk about the fifth step, which is very dear to, uh, all the steps are dear to my heart. But the fifth step means a lot to me. In the other big book, and a lot of us probably know what I mean when I say the other big book, in the old part of it, God said to Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of a wicked man, but in the turning back of a wicked man who changes his ways to win life. Come back. Come back. Why are you so anxious to die? And I, I bring that up because if you've been here with me, the past four steps I talked a lot and I know that there's a lot of people probably in here who haven't been here it seems like there's a lot of new faces tonight but I grew up uh, an Irish Catholic kid in Catholic schools and uh, the nuns started on me in the second grade by grabbing my ears violently and shaking my head and by the time the Christian brothers were done with me in high school, they were using their knuckles on me. And several other boys like me, I know. So we had uh, a lot of religion beat into us. And, uh, and it, it became, and justice, you know, became, to me, it was all about being punished, this punishment, you know. It wasn't about being restored. It was about retribution. So, you know, I always had, uh, you know, glass in hand, I warped my mind. I'm not blaming religious people. You know, the book 
tells me to see where religious people are right, not to see where they're wrong. So I'm going to take things that work for me. And I've found a lot of things over the years that work for me, that settled me into a different way of seeing things. Retribution is not love. You know, I talked about in the previous steps how I had to come to find another God. Because the God I had didn't work for me. That God ended up on top of my resentment list. I resented God terrible. I, I, I didn't know that what I was was a God hater. That I had learned that from a man that I heard in a meeting talking about God. And I'm going to talk about God. I have, a, I have a feeling that that's what I'm here for. Is to try to help pe- bring people back to God. <coughs> because I was brought back to God. So that's my message. <coughs> Excuse me. That I was brought back to God. And... and, and You know, I've been sober for 38 years. And I live out west. (coughs) And I see a lot of... uh, A lot of people that don't want to talk about God in Alcoholics Anonymous. As a matter of fact, until I went out west, I never heard the, the end of an AA meeting closed any other way except with the Lord's Prayer. Now I hear a lot of people, and there are a lot of groups, they don't even want to say a prayer. They'd rather say the responsibility pledge or something like that. As a matter of fact, they're asked, you know, to close the meeting any way you want. That's not the way I came up. I didn't come up in Alcoholics Anonymous like that. But I couldn't have come up the way that I did if I hadn't finally come to believe in the power greater than myself that has been restoring me to sanity by me making that decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God. Because when I heard the man in the meeting say that his problem was when he got here that he was a God hater, I knew that that's what I was. And the reason I was a God-hater was because I had the wrong God. And I had to get right. And I had to get the right God. Not a God that believed in retribution. Because that's what I thought it was about. I thought it was all about the beatings. And God's going to give me a beating too. And what I had to come to believe is in a God that was about restoring. Restoring me. And that God, he's been around a long time. 
because Ezekiel, that's, that's going way back. That's old. That's way before Jesus came. And I've also come to know, you know, and believe in my heart that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about man, but to change man's mind about God. Because somehow, you know, we get a wrong message. And maybe a lot of us were beat over the head with the Bible. And that's not my God. My God loves me unconditionally and wants to restore me. He takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked man. And I was a wicked man. We make this, this uh, fourth step. We're making a complete and fearless moral inventory. And a lot of us, we don't like those terms. We don't like these terms moral. You know, that's why it's, it's easy to go uh, to psychiatry, you know, and make, let's make science out of it. So what good do you think that it would do me to say that this, the fault of my alcoholism is all my father's fault because he beat the hell out of me all the time too and told me I was a bum and going to be nothing but a bum because his father was a bum? Because he used to see his father sleeping in doorways on skid row? Am I going to keep blaming him? Heck, he's been dead a long time. He's not, he died at 91, 2012. I once read a story about two Zen monks are walking down the street. And they come to the corner. And the street's all muddy. And there's a lady standing there. And one of the monks picks her up and carries her across the street and puts her on the other side. And they kill, go on down the, the sidewalk. And the other monk says to the one who picked the lady up, it's against our policy, you know, against our deal to uh, touch women or have anything to do with women. Why'd you do that? And the monk that carried the lady across the street said, I left her back there at the corner how come you're still carrying her why do I want to carry that why should I carry all this baggage keep carrying all this baggage isn't it what kept me drinking all the time isn't it how you know I came to Alcoholics Anonymous 48 years ago I was 21 years old. I'm 69. I spent the first 10 years in and out of the revolving door out there. Never could stay sober. Because I wouldn't change. Because I wouldn't find a new way. Because I kept doing things my way. And kept thinking that I didn't have to do the things that people in Alcoholics Anonymous did. That I was different. That somehow all I had to do was just not drink. 
and I was going to change my life. On my own. My way. But my way didn't work too well. I kept drinking. In the periods of time they, that I could spend out there, they got shorter because I went to the bottom faster. In the periods of time that I could spend in these rooms, they got shorter too because it's hard to sit around here and be so full of crap. And you know you are. Because you're sitting there thinking, thinking the same thing. Well, I, I don't need to do things that way. I don't need God. I can go to my therapist. I used to go to the therapist and pay her and lie to her. <laughs> How many people been to the therapist and paid them and lied to them? Yeah, there's a lot of us here, you know. We... We love to pay those therapists and lie to them, tell them how wonderful everything is. It's like every time we walk in a meeting, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing great. Life's wonderful. Inside matter and hell. Matter at the whole world, you know. Everybody's a bunch of you-know-whats. A-holes. All those a-holes out there. Weren't for all those a-holes, I might be happy. <laughs> the people out there on 95, don't they know I got this meeting to come to tonight? <laughs> the heck are they all doing out here? They need to get out of my way. Because I'm important. Yeah. takes a little time to find out. That's why, that's why I needed the inventory. I needed to find out what I had to work with. We talked about it last week. What are my assets? What are my defects? You know, and we sit, and we, I needed to sit down. Let, let, let me tell you a little story about me. You see, I'm always thinking I'm, I'm different. Okay? That somehow I can just do something a little bit different than what, what the book is talking about. The big book, okay? I, I, can, I can do things my way. So, you know, I got a great sponsor. You know, he, he, at the time, the guy that took me through the steps, I was talking about him, Tommy Noonan. He went to Bark for nine months learning the steps, and I says, anybody that's crazy enough go someplace every week for nine months learning these steps, that's a guy I need to teach me. Because I spent 10 years around here, never worked a step, never did anything, except take up a seat in a chair. And guess I, I guess I thought that was good enough just to come hang around AA. And I was gonna stay sober. You know, my wife has got a saying like, she's real fond of this saying of hers, you know. You can take a Chevy and park it in a garage for 20 years and it'll never turn into a Cadillac. And you can park your butts in these rooms for 20 years and never get sober. These meetings are necessary, but they won't get you sober. There are the meetings, the fellowship. But I need it all. The whole, every side of the triangle, I need. 
I always have a service commitment. I always participate in fellowship, you know. These are the things that I need to do to stay sober. And, of course, we're right in the fourth step. And Tommy says to me, he goes, now listen, this is the fourth step. It's not the fifth step. So I just want you to do this fourth step. Don't be thinking about the fifth step. Well, like a good alcoholic, that's the first thing I started doing. Was thinking about that fifth step. You know, and I'm sitting around, uh, which is, you know, doing what a good alcoholic does, obsessively thinking, you know. Man, what is this? I mean, I have this obsessive thinking all the time. You know, this committee in my head, see. Some years later, I would find out that what that is is the disease of alcoholism. It's called alcoholism. This thinking in my head. That's what alcoholism is. That's why, uh, you know, I was bothered my whole life, why I was always restless, irritable, and discontent for as far back as I could remember until I was 13 years old, found a bottle of wine wine in the woods and sucked the whole thing down, took the thinking away. Gave me serenity. Was the solution for my alcoholism. The medication that I needed. Because, you see, the alcohol didn't make me an alcoholic. The alcohol wasn't my problem. It was my solution. It became a big problem because it's progressive. But where it is, is it centers in my mind. That's where this alcoholism is. It centers in my mind and it talks to me. It's a talking disease. It talks to me constantly. It tells me, you know how to run your life. And you know the way other people ought to run their life. And you know the way life ought to run. And if everything would just be like that, it'd be great. But what's that big book say? The show doesn't come off too good, right? I just want to be the director, you know, the puppet master. We don't get it. That's what this disease is about. It's about control. This is a disease of desire and control. Because we think that somehow we can wrest satisfaction and happiness from this life if we just manage well. And we just get everything our, our way. And so we obsess. We, we quit drinking. I've got a sponsee. He loves to say, he, he always says, he's been my sponsee for years. He'll, he'll say, we quit drinking. We start praying. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the obsession to drink and to use is removed from us. And then it's time to bring in the substitutes. Bring the substitutes in. Money, gambling, sex, you name it. 
With me, it was guns. Oh, I was obsessed with guns, you know. I had to have every gun, and I read every gun magazine that I could get my hand on, you know, and I went through years, all this, with guns. And then I got tired of that, and it became dogs. I had to have dogs, you know. I needed this dog, and I had to start breeding dogs. And Before you knew it, I had 18 American Bulldogs, okay? I mean, I had dogs everywhere. If I could just get the best one, and I'll get the, and I'll put them together, and I'll get, and it'll be wonderful. And then it became, it became my career, and it became all about money and property and prestige and becoming the the, the top, the guy in charge and running the show. And you're going to do things my way. And at 10 years sober, I wanted to murder my partner. I used to try to plot how I could get him out in the glades and leave him for the alligators to eat. This is what alcoholism does to you. You can be stark raving sober. Insane. From alcoholism. And haven't had a drink in years. And you'd think that I would have learned, you know, from from the fifth step that I did. Because just like a a good alcoholic, I started thinking about that fifth step right away. And I was thinking, you know, well, the same thing we always think, you know, why is it that I got to go to somebody else? What, what, I, what do I need to talk to somebody else for? You know, I know about it. And God knows about it. Isn't that good enough? I mean, this guy doesn't need to know everything. Because there's some things that, you know, listen, I, I'm just not going to tell. I'm not going to tell him about. There's some things I'm just not going to tell him about. I'm going to go to the grave with a few of those things. And you see, I was taught to pray. Prayer means a lot to me. And I was taught that every time before I sat down to, to write on that four step, I, my sponsor told me to get on my knees and ask God to open my mind, to clear my mind, open my heart, and allow me, you know, to remember everything and write it down. And I believe that it was because of those prayers that I was saved from continuing to make the mistake that so many of us make. And why we just seem to never really grow. And still stick around and end up starving, raving, sober. Because we're not going to give it all to anybody. Because it's just too terrible. 
we have this, you know, and every alcoholic I ever known thinks just like me. They have the same kind of thinking that I have. And, and deep down inside of me and in every other alcoholic I've ever worked with or come close to, they have this, we have this self-loathing. We cover it up with all kinds of, of, of false pride. I did it my whole life. I learned from my four-step. My four-step was designed in such a way that I learned from it what my defects were. My number one defect was self-condemnation. I condemned myself my whole life to myself that I was no good, that I didn't measure up, that I wasn't worthy, that I'd never be a success, that I was a loser. And I spent my whole life building a character. I built this character from, from the time I was little. I built him, this tough guy character, who's going to show you that you're not going to mess with me. And you'll pay for it if you do. It's called false pride. Or the false self. That I created. I created that guy. To make up for all the self-condemnation. And then I copped a resentment over it all. And a resentment over everything and everybody that caused me to have to be that way. And didn't even realize it, that the reason I hated people, hated institutions, hated so much in my life was because I blamed that I had a victim story. I had to be that way. Just like I shared last week about being in the VA hospital and the girl asking me, Tom, what would you do if you found out somebody on a job was trying to get you fired and the first thing out of my mouth was I'd beat him with a two by four. That's natural. That was instinct. That's what I would do. When I got here, I was homicidal. I'd kill you. I didn't care. You know why I didn't care? Because that's the same thing as being suicidal. I'm looking for somebody to kill me. I'm so sick from all this alcoholism. From 10 years of being around here and never doing nothing different. Doing the same thing all the time. And ending up with the same result. Drunk again. And just getting worse. Going down. You think there's a bottom? There's lots of bottoms. There's levels of bottoms. There can be a place where there's just an unending bottom. And then we die. And I've seen it. And I've worked with guys like that. Who die. I lost one 
He'd been shot, he'd been stabbed, he'd been beaten almost to death. He lived on the street for years. He, he'd been to prison. Everybody tried to help him. Everybody worked with him. He'd OD'd three times. The last time he OD'd, they said he was going to be a vegetable. And my men's group, you know, 27 years, been my home group, Boca Men's Recovery. We all started praying for him. And I went up to Imperial Point where they had him. And I went into the ICU. And I stood at the foot of his bed. And his eyes popped open. And he looked right at me. And I said, I'm praying for you. And his eyes closed. <laughs> and I had to go somewhere. And I called a, a buddy of mine who's an ex-fireman. He, he's the one I was telling you about that would, they'd get mad at him because he'd shoot them up with the Narcan and they'd be pissed because he took their highway, jump out of the wagon and run, get more dope. He said, I says, go over there. That kid's going to come. I, I don't know what's going on. So he, he calls me about an hour later. He says, he's awake and talking to us. He wasn't brain dead. He was awake and talking to him. And then we started working again, and he was staying at Steve Kennedy's place up in Boca. Steve would always take him in. And he'd go to the men's meeting at Central House every Sunday morning with me. I had him up the sixth step. He had nine months. He'd never done so good. Everybody says he's, he's got it this time. And I called him one Sunday morning. I said, are you going to men's meeting with me? And he says, no, I want to go see my mother in West Palm. And they called me the next morning, Monday morning. And they said he didn't show up last night for bed check. And his mother called me. Nice parents. His brother was a doctor. His parents were Lebanese immigrants. Nice people. She wanted to pay me to find, she wanted me to pay guys, get guys to pay them so they'd go through dope houses looking for him. We didn't know that the Broward Sheriffs had had his body since that Monday morning. I guess they were looking for foul play or something, and then they let him know. And at the Lions Club in Boca, Steve had a little memorial for him. And Steve said the Broward Sheriffs had told him they'd found him, you know. He was in the motel room. And the last number on his phone was 911. But they didn't make it in time there. And we, we just keep doing this. And we keep seeing this. And we keep wondering, you know, when people are going to get this. And that's all I want, is I, is I want to try to help somebody to get that. To get what I got. To tell you that God loves you. You're not worthless. I don't believe in a punishing God. My God loves me. Unconditionally with a love that nobody else and nothing else can have. For me, I can't even understand the way that my God loves me.
a little Catholic mystic named St. Therese called herself the little flower. Used to say, you know, if God could find somebody more wicked than me, he would fill them with such grace. Because that's how I'm sober. I'm sober by the mercy of God. I didn't get justice. I got mercy. Because I was a wicked man. And I didn't want to tell anybody all that. But you see, I need humility. I don't need humiliation, but I need to have the truth come out. And I need to share that truth with somebody. That truth has got to be shared with somebody. And I went to a meeting. That night I was going to finish the the, uh, fifth step. I went to, or the fourth step, the night I was going to finish it. I went to a meeting. And a man came to that meeting, had never been there before, and came to talk about the fifth step in the meeting. And he shared that he had things that he was going to take to the grave with him. That he wasn't going to share these certain things with any other human being. And he didn't. And how he spent the next five years, he couldn't move on in the program. Couldn't do other steps. Went to the therapist, psychologist. Finally got a new sponsor and they figured it out. Him and the new sponsor. Because he didn't share everything. And he went back and he shared it all. And don't you know that I knew... Because my God has skin. And my God speaks to me through the people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. He talks to me through them. I get my message from him through them. I knew that God sent that man there that night to talk to me. And I'd already spent 10 years messing around. I was through with that. I wasn't messing around anymore. And I went home and I put it all in there. I laid it all on the line. And when I sat with my sponsor, and I sit for a long time doing, you know, the way I work a four-step is we go over it. My fifth step with him took about nine hours. I had 57 pages to discuss, okay? You can, you can write too little, but you can't write too much. Don't worry about it. Just put it all out there. And I laid it on the line with him. And you know what he said to me? He, he did, he did he, it was like he was laughing. I couldn't believe he was laughing. I, was, I said, what in the hell are you laughing about? He said, don't you know I did some of that same stuff? He said, let me ask you something, because you, you understand history. You know, you like history, and you're a smart man, right? How long has mankind been around? I said, well, they've been around probably a few million years. Yeah. And so what makes you think that you could do or think of anything that hasn't been done or thought of already? Who the hell you think you are? 
You're not special. You're just human like the rest of us. That's what we're trying to do. We're just spiritual beings that are trying to have a human experience. We don't know that. All we know is, is, is you know, listening to our obsessive minds, thinking, telling us, you know, we know what we need. This is it. I think a lot of times people don't relate a lot in the steps. The steps are a whole thing. They're a whole. They're a whole thing. They're, they're, this is about. This is, it, we do a disservice to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous even talking about working them. I'm not working steps. I'm living steps. I believe in step through application. All 12 of them. All the time. They're, they're my life. They're the way of life for me to live. Because my way didn't work too good. And every time I do things my way, it doesn't work too good. And I wake up every morning with untreated alcoholism. And I need to treat my alcoholism. And I do it the same way that I've been doing it for 38 years. I get on my knees and I ask my God for the strength to stay clean and sober today. To take my life and my will under his care. To do with me as he would. I ask him to bless all those that are having trouble and problems and I think about them. Because God knows what's in my heart. It's in my mind. And every step that when we have a problem, when we have a problem with a, with a step, is because we have a first step problem. Every problem with a step is a first step problem. And the reason it's a first step problem is because You think, and I think, that I know how to run my life. And I'm going to run it some other way, except by the steps. See? I'm going to do it my way. I thought this was, this is in Father Thomas Keating, his book, Divine Therapy and Addiction, to what he says in here. He's talking about the root of the tree has to be right. Because if the root of a fruit tree isn't right, the fruit's no good. The roots have to be right. Until we eliminate the disease in the roots of the tree, there will always be fruits that are less than good. Good fruit can only come from a tree with sound roots. This step, he's discussing the fifth step, This step is crucial to establishing the fruit of the first step. Hear that? This step, the fifth step. Crucial.
crucial to establishing the fruit of the first step. Because what, what is the step that has to be 100%? The only one that has to be 100%. The first step has to be 100%. So all the steps that come after ought to help me to be there. To be in that 100%. It's by the practice of these steps that I get into a 100% first step. Does that mean, you know, I think we get a misconceived idea that all of a sudden you're supposed to just, you know, magically, you, okay, I worked the first step, and now I'm 100% good. Oh, that, this is a living disease that I have in me. It's a living disease. It's alive. It's with me every day. I'm waking up, and, and my disease is already talking to me before I ever open my eyes, telling me what I need to do, what I, what I need to get. It's always talking to me about what I need to get. I need to make this happen. I need to make that happen. Crucial to establishing the fruit of the first step, which is the conviction that our life is unmanageable. The next question is, why is it unmanageable? The inventory and the sixth step begin to explore that in depth. That exploration makes the first step really work. See? I know that to be the truth. If I'm going to, if I'm going to have 100% first step, it's not good enough just to take the first three. To say, okay, one, two, three, I got it made. There's a, I've known a lot of people that are in the one, two, three club. That's, that's good enough. One, two, three, let's go. I'm not doing the rest of that stuff. I'm picking and choosing what I'm going to do. The exploration makes the first step really work and leads to the turning over of ourselves and our will into the hands of the higher power. The more we see the roots of the problem, the more we realize that we can't handle it by ourselves. Hence, we turn ourselves over to divine therapy and allow God to do what is necessary. AA could be looked upon as a self-help program, only it's much more than a self-help program. It's a spiritual program in which the healing is primarily coming from God, and we submit. We submit. We have a, I, I have, because I like to talk about, you know, stay where I was taught to stay, sharing my own experience, strength, and hope. I have a spiritual problem, a spiritual malady. I got sick spiritually. Then I got sick mentally. Then I got sick physically. And I've been recovering the other way around. First I recovered spiritually. Then I recovered mentally. And now I'm recovered spiritually by constant work. A day at a time. On my spiritual malady. 
God couldn't and would if he were sought. Doesn't say God couldn't would if he were found. I have not found God. I'm sure when I die that I will. I hope so anyway. That God has found me and I have found him. But until then, I'm seeking him. Because it's through the seeking that the spirit starts to be healed. You know, I was told, you know, look, Tommy, in here we don't have any report cards and you ain't graduating, okay? You ain't graduating. Nobody's getting out alive. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We're all going to die sooner or later. I think that uh, one of the greatest benefits that I got comes right from where we talk in the big book. It talks about we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. When I left that day, that's the way I felt. I felt like an 800-pound gorilla was removed from my back. I felt as though I had stepped into a new light, to a new place. I knew that the old life was over, that I wasn't going back there. I'm not going back to live in that old life that I used to live in the revolving door of Alcoholics Anonymous, slipping all the time. I'm not a loser. My God loves me. My God doesn't care. It's me who cares. It's me who's been judgmental over myself, beating myself up all this, these years, telling myself I'm no good, telling myself I'm not worthy of God's love. God wants nothing more than me to come to him. He fills me with love. Love is what it's all about. My old mentor who put my hand in God's hand used to say, what's Alcoholics Anonymous all about? Alcoholics Anonymous is all about people. What are people all about? People are all about God. What's God all about? God's all about love.
all about love. It's not retribution. It's restoration. It's to restore me. Restore me to the belief that I was born with. That baby, when that baby was born, it had no punishing God. It had no punishing anything. I created that. I twisted that. I had to come back. Be brought back to God. Be brought back to the fact that my God loves me more than I'll ever understand. I'm not meant to understand it. I'm not meant to understand. A kid says to me, you know, I don't think I could work that third step. I said, why not? He said, well, I don't understand God. I said, well, that's God as you understood him. He said, what? What do you mean by that? I said, you don't understand God. That's God as you understand him. You don't understand him. So that's God as you understand him. You don't understand him. You mean I don't have to understand him? I said, no, you don't have to understand God. God doesn't expect you to understand him, her, it. Get rid of all these misconceptions. Put it all down on the paper. Share it all with somebody. Let it all out of you. Because if you, if you got the right guy or gal sitting across from you, they're going to love you. They're not going to judge you. They're going to do just like I do. They're going to put their arms around you and hold you and tell you that they love you and that you don't have to feel this way anymore. That it's over. That God has a better way for you. A plan for you. That he loves you. That we love you. And that that's what this is all about. It's all about love. Thanks for letting me share. All right, let's thank Tom again. And now we're going to have Mark come up and do the secretary's report. My name is Mark. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group should be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are going to go around. While that's going on, I've asked Parker to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So here's our reader. Recovered. We are not cured from alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents conflict to same alcoholics. If we are cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That is the problem. The main problem of alcohol, alcoholic centers in the 
his mind rather than the body. We are now the same saying we where alcohol is concerned. Constantly we have recovered. Thank you, Parker. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder. Those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen Fell come to believe in experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Okay, more importantly, does anyone in the room need a sponsor? We have one. Would you mind standing up real quick and just saying your name so the group can get to know you? Peter? Peter, welcome. David. David. Someone could get with him after the meeting. Please join us Monday nights, big book study meeting, third floor of this building where the big book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30. Big book study starts at 7.15. Also up on this piano here, we have (laughs) CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red big books, big book dictionaries for sale. We meet here every Thursday, same time, same place, 7.15. Tom will be on his sixth session next week. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the road to recovery. Also, if we have a lot of people here tonight, if we if we could just if we're going to smoke and vape, if we could just go to that corner down by the receptacle, we have a Boy Scout meeting here at the church tonight. We'd appreciate it. See you all next week. Um, we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Uh, I'd like to invite again everyone to our Monday night big book study up on the third floor starting at 7.15. Uh, those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, uh, please uh, line up there. Um, and we're going to go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light. 
lessons when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now. And everything's alright. <laughs> oh, man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
two, 